Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. So as many of you are well aware, I'm sure, it is pretty hard to actually buy a new bike these days. Many bike companies are simply sold out and everything is on back order. And given this uptick that we have seen in bike sales, well, there has been a corresponding uptick in the amount of people out on trails. And so today we are gonna be talking a bit about the implications and consequences of this increased trail use and increased trail impacts. And so yesterday I sat down in Blister headquarters with the executive director of the Crested Butte Mountain Biking Association, Dave Ox, to first of all, just kind of catch up and to ask Dave how things are going here with the Crested Butte Mountain Bike Association, AKA Simba. But then we also kind of expand the conversation and go a bit more macro and talk a bit about the general implications of higher use of trail networks anywhere and what we should be thinking about both in terms of infrastructure and education. And we talk a little bit about what some other places are doing uh, to try to mitigate this increased use of trails, including a policy that a number of places are now using called opposite use policies or opposite use initiatives. And so we get Dave's perspective on that. And so that is what we have on tap for you here today. And with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Dave Ox. Dave Ox, welcome to Blister Headquarters. Thank you for having me. We've met up before, but we've never done it here. So um, I'm, you know, I've, I've apologized for the lack of hospitality here. I'm glad to see this warehouse of, <laughs> of, of fun gear and toys. It's pretty cool. Well, one, you and I were overdue to kind of catch up anyway. And I thought like, well, while we're here, you know, let's, uh, let's record is. this. And um, uh, seems like a pretty good time to get your perspective uh, relative to a lot of different issues in the broader bike world. But let's first, I guess we'll start with um, tell people what your title is, what your role is. What do you do here in CB? What do I do? Um, I used to ride bikes. <laughs> now I just talk about bikes a lot. Um, I am the executive director of the Crested Butte Mountain Bike Association, which is the oldest mountain bike organization in the world, 1983. And I am the first executive director and was hired in 2016. Um, it has been a whirlwind of, of, of good things ever since, and um, uh, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of our organization and, and what our role is in this community. But we are a we are a bike mecca and a bike destination, and um, it's an honor to serve in this position and, and, and represent uh, not just even mountain bike, but recreation interests, but trail interests as well. And yeah, yeah, proud mountain biker. Talk to us a little bit about your background. First of all, when did you come to CB? Mm -hmm. Moved here in 2001. Um, I'm one of those sight unseen guys Did had, had no intention of moving here, didn't know anything about it, drove through and didn't leave. Um, so it's again, one of those great stories. And uh, 
it was a different time and a different place. Uh, but that's a whole nother story. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of told you earlier, but I moved here as a snowboarder, yeah. developed a raging bicycle problem, and now I'm a telemarker in the winter. So, I mean, again, do a little bit of everything. Love all four seasons, Nordic skiing, downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, you name it. Um, same thing with the bike in the summertime and love getting out there. Love being a part of this backyard specifically. But, you know, mountains have been a big part of my life. And, um, yeah, I got a wife and two children, and we are very well invested in this community and love living here. So you were on your way to apparently somewhere else. Do you recall where you were supposed to I be going? I wanted to go to Boulder and I had no idea. Totally green from the East coast. Never been on a plane until I was 26, huh. um, 25. And then at age 26, when I drove out here, um, it was kind of like the whole John Ver- John Denver story in Rocky mountain high born in the summer of his 27th year, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, listened to a lot of John Denver back in the day. And, uh, I wanted to go to Boulder just because I'd heard about it. I was getting into cycling a little bit and it was even a little bit of road cycling really. But um, I learned that Boulder was such a Mecca and a destination for biking and was on my way there because I'd heard about it. But I did want to check out Vail, Breckenridge, Aspen, the ski towns because I'd heard about them. Um, but again, drove through here on a whim and I did, I did go check out the other towns and I was just right back here and that was it. Found a place to live and it's been history. Huh. But it was snowboarding was the passion before, well, really before any form of bikes or mountain bikes in particular? Before mountain bikes in particular. I had a pretty crappy mountain bike actually when I moved here, which was pretty funny um, and spent that summer on it. But immediately, I mean, the next summer I had a moots, which was hilarious. I mean, again, like hook, line and sinker. Like I said, I went head over heels, fell in love with it. I had, had no idea about this kind of access or these kind of trails right out your back door. Um, but yeah, it was actually about snowboarding. And part of that was I was in New Hampshire the uh, winter before, and, and that was the winter of 99, 2000. Jay Peak, for example, got 599 inches of snow that year. So that was my, at this point in my life, don't have kids, didn't have a wife. If I don't go jump in the truck and go check out out west, I might never do it. So that was it. I don't know if you've heard, but there's this uh, this thing called COVID that go- thing. going on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you and I have kind of been, catching up a bit before we, you know, hit the record button here. But, um, I kind of, it's funny. I find myself in conversations literally with everybody and it's almost always kind of gets into a question of like, how similar or different are things right now, given what you do? And, um, you know, this is one of the things that I wanted to catch up with you about is, um, as the executive director of Simba, um, Give us a bit of the State of the Union about like this summer, I guess, in particular. And we can talk a little bit about what you're seeing here in CB or maybe just some broader trends that you either are seeing or are wondering about or, I don't know, worried about, et cetera. Sure. Um, We actually just did a a recent um, our Conservation Corps update and it was titled, The Times Are Odd, But The Trails Are Good. Um, So kind of interesting, especially when this whole COVID thing hit. Number one, we scored with the weather, right? I mean, if we had the if we had the spring that we had here last year, I think the, the tribe would have gone crazy. You know, I think it would have been a rough time. But again, having a nice mild spring and immediately trails kind of came around when the directive was get outside, right? A safe place to be was to be outside, and um, we actually saw right an increase of like Americans' health, right? I mean, people did take to that and they did get outside. So I mean, we were pretty lucky to have that. Um, again, COVID has not been all around that bad in terms of the mountain bike industry or, or, or market. And obviously mountain bike sales are through the roof. And again, people are, you know, looking to get outside in so many ways, but 
Um, you know, if anything, and I hate to say this, if, if, if anything, it's a silver lining, but it's been a compliment. I mean, it's been of reasoning for people to uh, further realize how important trails are or recreation is to their lives, you know, and more people have been recreating, which is, of course, a great thing. But, um, you know, all in all, it's not been entirely that bad. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm more worried about the future in the sense of, you know, I think this thing struck when people were a little bit more grounded. But now we've got a, a year of this, you know, underneath us. And I think next year things are going to be a little bit more difficult. You know, we'll see how that goes. I think some of that's just funding, you know, grant funding and grant opportunities drying up, which is a big part of our organization. But in the meantime, in terms of State of the Union for mountain biking, things are good. I mean, we've got um, a full trail crew um, employed and we're doing work all through um, this area of the Gunnison Valley and with our partners, the National Forest, the Bureau, Bureau of Land Management, other private entities, and things couldn't be better. You know, we've got some great trail projects going on. We're furthering our mission of um, getting riders off the road and advocating for sustainable and 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 quality experience trails and 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 those things are all moving forward. So I mean, again, it's really not been that much of a detriment to us. Uh, trails have been good. Yeah, trails have been really good. Is this season? I mean, did you already have plans coming in? That like, I mean, it does seem like there is just a lot of trail work getting done around here. That I take it was already in place. Planned. Planned yes. and in place. Yes. Um, but it's a, it is, I'm, I am correct in assuming this is a big season for this compared to a, I don't know, more or less typical year. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, more so again, I mean, I would say for the impacts that we're seeing yeah. out there and, um, there's not much we can do in that regard in the sense of, um, we can provide the maintenance on the trails and that kind of stuff. We can't provide the infrastructure for, again, all those other kinds of impacts, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's been, um, it lined up just great. I mean, when it comes to next year, again, that's the, the stuff I'm a little worried about, the grant funding, the stuff that we plan for in advance, or obviously, you know, um, kiddies are allotted or budgeted the year in advance. So those things might change next year. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we kind of came into this season with full expectations to run just like normal. That's what we have been doing, obviously, with social distancing protocols. Yeah. Uh, however, um, it's been otherwise business as usual. Yeah. So in a given year, I'm curious, how much time do you spend talking with other mountain bike associations or clubs? I have a sense, at least, of how busy and kind of in the weeds you are just with stuff in this particular location. But mm -hmm. are you talking much with other organizations? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, there's some general outreach, which is always interesting. It could be California, Vermont, wherever. Um, little things like, hey, we saw your website, saw you're doing this, love to ask you about that, et cetera. Um, there's also been a very recent um, push throughout the state of Colorado, uh, more so by a couple of different uh, mountain bike organizations in the state. Uh, Comba's one of them. Uh, Rafimba's another one. And these gentlemen have kind of organized an executive director uh, call every month. So I get on those when I can. But there's there's a general um, coming together. Those groups also have planned for, and we had it here last year, last September, but basically a Colorado mountain bike club retreat where we all got together and sat down at one table and hashed some things out. So I mean, we talk pretty regularly. Do also speak quite a bit with Gunnison Trails. We're we're very close in terms of proximity, but also in just communications and 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 outreach and how we want to work together or or take stances on things and stuff like that. So we talk and communicate pretty regularly. So if you're willing to speak, you know, maybe on a more general level for some other organizations out there, you mentioned that one of the things that it's like things are actually pretty good. You're saying here now you're a bit concerned about funding for next year. Does that seem to be the common concern or what else is going on um, from 
other organizations? Yeah, you know, I don't know. We've had some pretty, we've had some amazing luck. We have a, we have a great partner, our U.S. Forest Service here, at the Gunnison Ranger District, and our ranger has 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 brought with him from his past experience a, a stewardship fund. I mean, he's basically with the along with the store committee here in Gunnison County, um, created this Gunnison County Stewardship Fund, which has been very much our bread and butter these days. I mean, it's basically a way to facilitate, um, you know, dwindling resources to an entity like the U.S. government or the U.S. Forest Service. So that's been very good for us. Um, the stewardship fund in particular is funded by a percentage of donations via local businesses. So again, if sales tax is down, if numbers are down, if if um, you know visitors are down, those numbers won't be there. So that is a concern that we have specifically. I mean, otherwise, and this kind of also leads to a unique question about Crested Butte of, you know, we've got some people here that are um, you know, compared to other parts of the world, rather well off, you know, and there's some second homeowners here and there's people that come and invest in this community quite a bit. And they've been very, very happy to be here and be out on the trails. And they've still been very good to us too. So, you know, I don't exactly know what the future holds. Again, more so concerned about those, those grant opportunities that what they look like next year. And again, have no idea exactly what that's going to be like just yet. Yeah. We talked about the fact that, <laughs> Bike companies are all sold out of bikes, like everybody kind of everywhere, right? And it would seem to be the case that, you know, one might think that there is also then an increase in terms of people out on trail networks and the rest riding bikes. And so I want to hear you talk a little bit about like volume and if we're seeing this uptick in folks on trails. What are some of the things we should be thinking about this phenomenon for now? Um, some of the takeaways, thoughts on an uptick. Yeah, infrastructure. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's interesting. Um, we all love more people getting outside, right? I mean, it's, 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 I don't want to call it just cliche, but we all do very thoroughly understand the value and the benefit of people exercising, recreating, and better mental health, you name it. But um, love seeing more people out there, but there's absolutely a huge concern for volume. And right now what we're experiencing this summer and July is the, the roughest month to witness um, is just an amount of numbers and an amount of impact that we cannot sustain. We cannot handle. I'll be honest. What's been interesting is for the previous three seasons of our conservation core, human waste was a major issue, even though we're also seeing massive numbers in the back country with a lot of infractions. And again, a lot of wrongdoings, if you will, of people just camping in places they should not be, Oftentimes, very obviously, right in front of no camping signs or signs that say don't camp within 100 feet of water, they're camped within 100 feet of water. We're seeing people during a fire ban have fires anyway, all that kind of stuff. We are seeing less human waste, which is something interesting, I think, that maybe people are picking up on a little bit more leave no trace ethics in this desire to be outside. But there's no doubt about it with the amount of people that we have coming here. We just lack the infrastructure. We don't have the trailheads. We don't have the parking. We don't have bathrooms at those trailheads. So those are major concerns. And I would think any community or any organization in looking to the future um, with COVID as an example, I think one of the best things you could do is have the foresight to look into what infrastructure required to handle those impacts and those numbers. Yeah. Let's do, let's talk about infrastructure because then we're going to talk about opposite use. And that I think is, I'm, I don't know how many people are up on this, but um, anyway, we'll get your thoughts there. Let's start with sure. infrastructure. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, we laugh about it, and again, you're 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 lucky to live in a nice small mountain town, right? I mean, again, let's 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 be honest about how 
it's a highly sought after, but again, amazing destination to be in. So we look at a place and obviously it's incredibly important and valuable to us. And we look at it as a resource that is not, that is very much finite. And, you know, there, there is a, a, a stepping off point and it can go too far. And other people come here and they look at that same backyard that we look at with the tear in the eye and they say, oh my God, there's nobody here. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like totally relative to the, yeah. to the individual of how, in these small communities, again, we're, we're, we're gifted and blessed to live there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to take for granted that there is so much open space. There is so much opportunity, which doesn't necessarily convey the same, um, set of values in each and every person. So again, people come out here and they just see it as a place to come recreate and, and they're here for a week and they'll be damned hell or high water that they're not going to go e-bike a certain trail they shouldn't or visit a certain place they probably shouldn't or camp in a place that they used to go 20 years ago that's now been closed down. They'll be damned if they're not going to be able to camp there still. So those are the concerns that we have or the stuff that we're seeing that is, again, disheartening. Um, but what do we do about that more so is, again, I mean, I think if we have the infrastructure in place to provide the opportunity for people to do the right things and have designated camping and have places to go parking-wise, bathroom-wise, that they know the right things to do, I think we'd have some better solutions. So it seems to me it is about more designated areas, restrooms, the like. But man, hearing you talk, like there's also just a serious education component too, right? And massive, massive. How do you reach those people? That is, that is the eternal question because that, that is one of our biggest concerns is street signs don't work. You know, um, niceties honestly really don't work. I mean, it seems to us the only thing is a big fat sign in your face that literally says, do not do this. You know, I mean, that's about the only thing, which again, kind of rubs people the wrong way too, but education is absolutely the number one issue, you know, and that goes for all uses, all users, access, you name it. And again, to some people, it seems to make sense to others. I don't know if it's a vacation thing. Like I'm on vacation. I'm just not going to read signs this week. You know, um, that's, <laughs> it does seem to be a lot of what it is. Uh, but that, that definitely is a part of it. You know, there's been discussions of, can we stop every car as they come into town and hand them a pamphlet? that has those leave no trace ethics and or the right way to do things or the right places to go or, hey, you know, we are trying to encourage people to drive less and do things, you know, with less impact. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But again, that's that's the golden question is, I mean, how how do we reach these people? Huh. I mean, so like, let's think through this for a second, right? I mean, I, first of all, I think those of us in kind of the outdoor media side of things maybe need to step our game up. It's interesting if if bike manufacturers themselves, if we're seeing in you know we which we have this big uptick in sales, if there could be something done by bike manufacturers to either <laughs> send that pamphlet with the bike or direct you know with purchases um, to the best source, is there currently like would you nominate something as being like here's a great kind of ten commandments? spot, you know, where all of us in the bike community could be like reading that or linking to it or sharing that more. Absolutely. But I'd also love to see that be for hiking shoes, yeah. running shoes, a hiking stick, yeah. walking sticks. I mean, you name it. I mean, um, we do not have hard data in terms of numbers and users. I Something I analyzed personally uh, last, sorry, two years ago now, year and a half ago. No, two years ago. Forgive my math. Um, we worked on rerouting the start to 403, very yeah. popular, very famous trail. 
very big hiking trail. We yeah. just got done doing this work. Again, the mountain bike club did. And the next day, 53 to four in two hours, 53 hikers to four bikers. That was the use. So again, as much as um, we as a mountain bike organization and a mountain bike community in many ways are the ones that are, that are going out of their way more so to get involved with stewardship efforts and, and awareness efforts and, and education and outreach, um, I'd love to see the industry absolutely lead some kind of an initiative for supporting the backcountry and those impacts. Um, I, I might go off on a little bit of a no, uh, diversion here, but um, there's been a discussion recently in Colorado about a pay-to-play program. And that's a lack of a way to say it, but it's also it is also called the mountain bike fee program. Um, Simba was very much against it. And part of that was we felt that if there was a um, – you know, mountain bikers put a $25 sticker on their bike that says, hey, we paid at the front door. We're not going to come to your volunteer work days anymore. We're not going to be advocates. We're not going to have a seat at the table. So that's why we were not for that. However, our argument why we didn't like it was, why are we looking to just the mountain bikers? It seems like the outdoor industry is obviously killing it, especially right now in terms of these the volume. And Crested Butte is hardly the only place that's witnessing this. But um I agree. I think a big part of it could be the industry in their outreach of all things recreation, having some sort of a Bible or commandments or or or, or just a generic message of stewardship, really, because we have found that if people are if people witness an opportunity or or, or get a visual of a of a stewardship occasion, whether that's somebody standing at a drainage helping to park cars in a in a, in a heavily impacted area. Um, people get the idea, I think, in their minds of, hey, they're trying to just look out for their backyard. And I think that instills a, steer, a, a, a sense of stewardship in other people. I would love to see that top down from the, the second they purchase that rain jacket or set of sneakers for hiking all the way through witnessing somebody on the ground, boots on the ground that can give them information as well. This is one of the things I find really fascinating about all of these different sports that we love and the kind of outdoor sports is like, you know, the climbing community has a really interesting history, right? Where, you know, if you it used to be the case, especially before the explosion of urban gyms, it's like, if you wanted to learn how to climb, you kind of needed to find like a mentor who would literally show you the ropes, yeah. right? And yep. teach you the ethics of this. And, you know, I feel like in the backcountry ski community, while we still have a lot of work to do on that front, I would actually argue that maybe more people are better informed now and are at least aware I shouldn't be going out there if I haven't done any kind of background prep, you know, education stuff. And so it's in a way heartening to me that I think we have seen other other communities kind of do this, create their own ethics in this. And it's like, maybe we just need to push harder and find the right mechanisms to activate this more on the mountain bike side, you know, and in the running, running and trail running and hiking side. And that does not seem like impossible work. That, that in a year or two or 10, we are in a much better spot um, than right now. It's a great point. I mean, Crested Butte Avalanche Center, a great example yep. of, again, people who give you the information you need to yep. go be safe out in the backcountry. And again, to me, that instills that sense of 
hey, do I have the credentials? Do I have what I need to do the right thing out there? Love that idea. Um, I wish there was more of that. Is there the 30 minute video you have to watch before you go out and partake in any of these things? I mean, um, you go to Lake Dillon, right? Go to rent one of their boats. They make you watch a video on yeah. boat safety, you know, and it's like at least most people aren't paying attention, but at least they got in front of you somehow and explained to you that this is something that they're concerned about. You know, um, I'd love to see something like that happen. Don't know how we get it out there, but that'd yeah. be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe here's a way to encourage many of us to, uh, start working hard on this problem is, uh, Let's talk about opposite use initiatives, right? Because <laughs> if we don't solve this and we are dealing with an uptick in volume and if infrastructure and education isn't where it needs to be, well, talk to us a little bit about what is an opposite use initiative or policy. Sure. That would be um, hikers and bikers seem to be kind of the real, uh, I don't want to call them conflict, but that's, that's basically what it comes down to. It would be, you know, you can hike trail a on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, and you can bike it on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Did I get, did I get my days right? And the opposite's correct. <laughs> um, so that would be the plan. Places like Park City have implemented stuff like that. Boulder's implemented stuff like that. Um, again, places with higher impacts. A lot of this does seem to happen on private lands or um, municipally owned lands or land trust owned lands. Whereas federal lands, I think it's a lot harder to get those kind of initiatives um, in line with everybody's right to access open space and public lands. But, um, you know, it's a it's definitely contentious. I would add to that in the sense of uh, going back to the infrastructure question. You know, there's a lot of, especially here in Crested Butte, there's a lot of when is enough enough in terms of trails? And that's an argument that we deal with all the time. Um, personally, we find it very frustrating because we think there's a lot of opportunity for um, environmentally sound and sustainable trail opportunities that that are not existing yet. However, I would say before even going to the opposite use question, we need more trails. And if there's an opportunity to put more trails into already impacted areas that are not fragmenting habitat any further, whether there's an existing trail and a road and we put another trail in between that and that trail becomes a hiking only trail, I think those are even better answers. I think looking to more numbers and more people coming, I think we need more trails and more recreation opportunities, again, especially closer to those tighter hubs and places like, you know, closer to towns and recreation areas. But to me, that would be as effective, if not more effective than doing the opposite use for uh, different users. Yeah. Huh. It's tough. I mean, you and I were saying like around here, man, we're just, we're just two guys talking, but like around here, I, uh, I can't imagine the community would respond well to that. And I mean, honestly, I'm like, man, if that's what we're talking about, possibly moving to not saying, you know, this is not underway here or mm -hmm. you know but like and which one opposite trails or more trails opposite trails gotcha yeah yeah like let's do how about we do anything other than like start being like you can only ride bikes here monday wednesday friday yep. type of thing I, I think restricting people from what especially in a community like this people live here yeah. for for trails and trail access i think restricting them and it's like hey today's friday it's my day off and i can't go ride my favorite trail that's not going to go over well yeah i don't see that going over well yeah. And especially in a community where I would, again, looking to the mountain bike side of it, the mountain bikers are the one who maintain these trails and put the time and the advocacy and the efforts into these trails, um, have built the majority of these trails. I think that would be something that would not fly this community at all. Speaking of building trails, I promise we're not going to do this for long today, <laughs> but you and I, once again, you know, kind of had the e-bike conversation and 
I was talking with Claudio Calori recently a bit about this and, and, um, you know, again, as we're looking at impacts and as we're looking at higher volume usage, one of the things that this is now we're just, I'm not speaking for anybody other than me right now, but where I, I still very much worry about bringing e-bikes into areas where we don't have clear trail access policies. And so either e-bikes are coming onto trails that have not been designated for pedal assisted bikes. And that's going to create all kinds of problems. I don't really think we need to, for this conversation, kind of retread all of that. But one, I mean, I am curious just for this particular area, would you be open to creating more trails around here that would be uh, open for motorized vehicles? You're okay with that? Um, yes. And, and, and yes, absolutely. And, and I'd love to uh, see an organization or, or an individual or, or a gathering come together and maybe start an e-bike club. I think it's interesting that, you know, we're getting a lot of, we're fielding a lot of that desire, concern, or um, dislike for these things. And it's like, hey, if e-bikes want to go that route, do what everybody else does, start a club and start advocating for it. Would we be against that? Absolutely not. If they follow the same protocols in the process that that we have to do in terms of any kind of a, a, a public introduction of a new trail or a change or maintenance or upkeep or et cetera, I mean, we go through the ringer for these things. Um, if anybody else wanted to do that, I would invite that. Um, I would think that we'd be a big supporter of that. Obviously, we would collaborate with them on on what opportunities do exist. Um, but at the same time, at a time when we're looking at, you know, a critical mass of impacts, um, I'm not sure now is exactly the right time. However, when we get into the next travel management process, that's definitely going to be a part of it. Yeah. And this, given that we just got done talking about like education and how it can happen in these communities where, where we do kind of attach a certain ethics or a way of doing things. And honestly, Claudio and I were talking about this, but for me, another of the things where I do actually really see value potentially with e-bikes taking a greater and greater role in mountain biking in the US is the reduction of shuttling. And so if, if we kind of created a thing like all right, we're going to get clear about trail designation. So there's less, you know, there's less gray area. There's less gray area there. And it was, I guess I'm just personally not so thrilled with how much shuttling is becoming a seemingly a bigger part of mountain biking. So that's where, and you and I were talking about impacts, right? And it's mm -hmm. like, as we're just slamming more trucks and cars, yep. you know, through these areas, like that's having a significant impact. And if it was like, all right, well, I'm bringing my e-bike to this area and we are going to ride from town, mm -hmm. you know, or from the hotel and reduce shuttling that would, I don't know how we get that to like stick to resonate. Catch, sure. Yep. But that would actually be pretty interesting. Again, just at least from the point of view of like, what are we doing with the volume problem and the impact problem? Mm -hmm. If e-bikes were the solution for less shuttling, man, I, I, I can't speak for my entire organization. I personally would be all for it. I would think my organization would be all for that and finding a way to not just compromise, but again, find the right way to incorporate e-bikes into certain uses in certain places. And there's no, date, no doubt there are certain trails that are they're at their critical, you know, limit. I mean, 401 is a great example. Yeah. On a given Saturday, 
401 cannot handle any more bicycles. Yeah. It, it's 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 being beaten to death. And and to be honest, our trail crews could start working at the top of 401. By the time they got to the bottom, they could go right back around to yeah. the top of the trail and, and start over with maintenance. There's that many impacts. To add, um, to, to, to mitigate that impact with less shuttling going on out there and having less impacts on the infrastructure, man, awesome solution. Is, is it a little bit, I don't want to say far-fetched or, or unrealistic in the sense of, we're going to look to e-bikes to solve the shuttling problem. I hardly think that's going to happen. Um, we are witnessing e-bikes shuttling almost exactly the same as regular mountain bikes are. I don't know if part of that is those are the folks that are showing up here on vacation and or to visit and their bikes are just on their car and that's what they're doing. I don't know if we've not gotten the education out there enough of, hey, you know, put it on eco mode and start from town, save a little bit more battery by uh, you know, commuting out to the trailhead, if you will, and having less of an impact. Again, we get back to that education part of it. Man, in an ideal world, awesome solution to the shuttling question because there's no doubt about it. We are witnessing impacts um, on our backyard and our backcountry that, quite frankly, are not good for mountain biking. And it's because of just volume of shuttling when, again, these bikes have every ability and capacity to ride from trailheads, ride from hotels, or ride from home. Let's talk about something else you do. Trail grooming. <laughs> right on. Um, we have You and I have not had this conversation, but um, Fat Bike World Championships happen here in CB. Mm -hmm. And every year you get out there and do some, I, I still want to call it like course setting because like, I don't know if, I don't know exactly what we call it. Is it just trail grooming is that the term course setting yeah. sounds like it's a slalom ski course you're saying i mean it kind of is in the sense of i mean let, let's be honest right up front here real quick i mean grooming is incredibly disheartening in the sense of man you can go out there and lay down some beautiful track <laughs> and the wind is just going to blow and ruin what you just did so it's hilarious how um you know redundant repetitive and often disheartening it is but um <laughs> it's, it's grooming but at the same time we put up bamboo out there to see where the hell we're going oftentimes and it is like course setting because we you got to stick to that course every time so again it's a little bit different about it but um yeah we groom trails in the winter and um trying to provide more opportunities and access for again it's not even just fat bikers i mean these trails are open to skiers um some of them are motorized so i mean they're open to snowmobiles on cement creek um we groom in conjunction with al smith from camp yeah. four and that's a motorized corridor so that is actually a great example of some lovely harmony out there of, hey, we can do motorized, we can do non-motorized, we can bike, we can walk, we can dog walk, we can ski, do everything. So it's super cool. Um, but we're glad to be a, um, a partner with a whole bunch of different entities around here to be able to provide more opportunities for winter recreation. And yeah, um, interesting thinking about a mountain bike club that has two snowmobiles now, but that's part of what we do. So Fat Bike World Championships, I think that would happen. It's end of January. End of January is when it's been historically, yeah. And uh, give us an update. Your like State of the Union, like as from where we stand today, you are anticipating this event goes forward. So far we are, but I'm also anticipating some good leadership from our country coming forward here. I don't know if that's realistic either. <laughs> um at the same time, I mean, yeah, in an ideal world, right, we get a vaccine, we can all go back to regular life. We don't know what's going to happen. But in the meantime, we're planning and, and looking for a way to continue having Fatbike World Championships. Part of that, again, is making sure um, people can still do the stuff they love in these dark times. I don't recall them. Yeah, I mean, they're dark and, 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 and dismal in many ways. But again, that's a little bit too uh, dark, if you will. Um, 
people are just looking for ways to recreate and get outside. And, and man, what we've seen about Fatback Worlds that we love, we have great crowds that show up, but it's more so, you know, people come, they bring their they bring their family and friends. They rent a house for the whole weekend. Only one person races, but they bring the whole crew and they're all out there having fun and, 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 you know, being outside and being healthy in so many ways. So we're hoping we can pull it off in some way. And if it's going to have different restrictions and protocols around, uh, COVID, you know, uh, restrictions, then we'll do what it takes. But in the meantime, we're hoping we can still pull it off. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was telling you like, literally yesterday, um, Noah Brodigam was sitting right where you are now. And, um, he just won the speed goat 50 K, which is a gnarly mountain running race that's held on snowbird. And, you know, it was great getting his perspective on it. And this was, he thought that there were about 250 people in that race and they did some, it sounds like really smart, small adjustments and you know i guess we'll find out in the next couple weeks um how are people doing but he made it sound like it went really well and it's like you know fat bike world championships well it's an outdoor event and seems like from everything we're hearing like to be outdoors in daylight pretty good so i am very optimistic uh for for this event and just imagine there will be some common sense tweaks that you guys would make to the event. That, it's winter. It's easy to wear a mask, right? Yeah. Um, start lines might be different, right? Yep. Space out at start lines, which again, it's funny. Fatback World's a great example. The first, you know, 25, 30 people really care about their position. The rest yeah. of them are there to drink whiskey and eat bacon on yeah. course and wear a costume. <laughs> so it's like, they don't care if they start six feet behind people. Yeah. Whatever. You know yeah. I mean? So if we have to do stuff like that, yeah, that's what we'd be hoping to do. And that's exactly what Speed Goat did. They just had a more of a staggered start. Yep. And uh, it's really, I, I'm fascinated by watching some of the different sports leagues, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, college sports. What's everybody doing here? And What are the Marlins doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't fucking know. Um, apparently... <laughs> <laughs> apparently just having crazy pool parties or something Must like I, I don't, I don't know yeah. what they're doing but uh sharing beverages yeah sharing sharing a bunch of beverages but um yeah it's god it's a weird time where i i just my head is on a swivel as i'm i'm just kind of trying to glean good ideas and and reading the tea leaves and the rest and so um you're kind of in that boat too <laughs> very much so yeah very much so yeah <laughs> this is our little socially distanced boat we're in i guess totally um all right, I'm going to let you go here soon. Um, I think we're firing up a new segment here on Bikes and Big Ideas, and you're going to be kind of the guinea pig. Bring it. Uh, I keep thinking that this is something we should do or some version of it, and then I, I have not gotten around to it in a lot of conversations, so um, I suck. I, it's the only, my only <laughs> takeaway. But uh, I think we're going to call this kind of um, big idea or bad idea. We'll try that out. Maybe a listener has a better name than that. But um, I feel like it should become commonplace that we are asking our guests around here, you know, like, what's your wild or big idea or whatever? And I thought this would introduce just a bit more maybe freedom uh, if we kind of were like, well, you know, it could be a big idea, it could be a bad idea, sky's the limit. What do you got? My big idea? Yeah. Shutting down the cars. No cars. Keeping it real. I mean, again, that bike can go anywhere and it's up to you to be able to do it. And it shouldn't be up to the car. It shouldn't be up to a battery. It should be up to you. And I think that 
in, in order for Crested Butte in this area to maintain its charm and its soul, and that's something I'm very concerned about is the soul of this this town, this backyard, this backcountry. Um, we got to keep it real, and I think if you um, you know if we want to keep this place sustainable and, and the magical place that it is, you got to earn your turns. I'd love to see no cars, and that goes for that goes for businesses, that goes for our our our, our downtown economies, our our way of life, and again our shared values here. Come here, park that thing, and Turn off life as you know it from an automobile point of view and ride a bike. I'd love to see our hotels have e-bikes because uh. they could use them to get around to restaurants and to commute around town. Totally awesome. Um, but again, I, I would say that would be my big idea is um, let's make an example. We call ourselves a bike town. Let's do it. Huh. And that goes for the wintertime too. Ride that fat bike or ride the e-bike out to the trailhead with your skis in tow and be less of an impact out there. So I think there's ways to do it. It'd be a big change, but. This is something you we were talking about earlier the the e fat bike the e fat bike for they should come with ski mounts on them just standard see I would get one of these because I still take a lot of flack from my friends with sleds here who it's like you know they're like dude just get one it's, it's you're overdue but I currently much prefer the idea of an e fat bike with ski mounts on it. Yeah. And that's going to be my sled. Sleds break down. Sleds break down way too often. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm, um, I'm very intrigued by this. It's one of the greatest feelings. Let me just be honest with you too. When your friends all drive to the trailhead and you pull up on the bike with your skis on your back, you're the coolest dude there is. Yeah. 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 We're sitting here looking at a kind of iconic, uh, painting by John Fellows. It's just a, just a cool dude. Carrying skis, that's not even, that's just a cruiser bike. He's, he's like slaying through three, four inches of cow there too. I mean, that guy's killing it. <laughs> that guy is killing it. Uh, look at the stop sign, just perfect. buried. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Anyway, um, yeah, I need to, I, this, I need to think harder about the, the EFAT bike for my, for my axle access. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you. You're, you're giving me all kinds of good ideas. Giddy up. I'm glad that you're, man, I know you work hard already. You keep looking for solutions. Good on you. <laughs> um, well, hey, man, this has been fun. I want to let you get going. Um, anything else we should say here? Any parting thoughts? You know, for anybody listening, um, can't say it enough. I think we're all visitors at some point. We're all tourists. We're yeah. all guests in some other places. But um, I think it's important that we just um, remember our, our place and, and, and everything should be realized that, you know, it's, it's, it's too easy to take it for granted that we have an opportunity here uh, to really take care of things that we cherish and love. And I hope we can continue to do so. And, you know, witnessing what we're witnessing with during COVID of, of not just the odd times and, and, the, and the, the morbidity of this disease, but again, impacts and that we can all kind of come together to look for solutions because uh, obviously we're a lot better off working on this together than just going at it willy nilly and having things continue the way they are because it's a pretty divisive time. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're in a very good period for a lot of self-reflection and asking ourselves what it means to live responsibly. Absolutely. And if we're doing that in basically every aspect of our lives, that actually is probably a pretty good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, we really appreciate what you and Simba do around here. And um, thank you. Every time I'm out on those trails, uh, God bless you guys. Um, 
it's uh it turns out there's some good riding around here some good riding and, and, and we, we love doing it so yeah thank you. and i think on that note i think both of us are gonna like shut we're, this we're out and go yeah. very <laughs> do yeah um thank you uh we'll do it again soon and uh uh, appreciate the time and thank the you jonathan and blister yeah thanks for having us well that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas thanks to dave for the conversation and if you'd like to check out the website of the oldest mountain bike association out there you can go to cbmba simba cbmba.org and take a look now i also want to say thanks to jared farley for producing this episode And of course, thanks to you for listening. And until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.